Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. And here we are on a Wednesday edition of Fantasy Sports Daily. Kyle Elfring hanging out with Ray Flowers, who is hanging out at the base of the Green Monster. I love it, Ray. Um, I, I was wondering, is that uh, Verdugo behind you? You told me I was incorrect. That is Benintendi behind you. Yeah, I've uh, been downloading photos for a long time uh, for articles. And, uh, you know, going through there, trying to keep my promise to have a new photo every show uh, this year behind me with my new green screen and all that. And uh, today we do have the, the green monster. There's a, get out of the way, there's a gentleman sitting oh, in there you can yeah. kind of see too, you know, yeah. in there. I'm kind of hiding him. But yeah, that is Andrew Benintendi. I think this photo is about five years old. Well, and, and it, it had me wondering, where the hell is Andrew Benintendi at? And, and you reminded me he's still looking to find out where he's at. I mean, is he, well, old has Benintendi? 31 maybe? He's got to be in his early 30s, and, and how quickly it happens, right? I mean, you'd think he was an NFL running back with how he went from uh, being a thing to being discarded and kind of just bouncing around from team to team now. He's a kid, Kyle. He's 29. 29, wow. 29, he turns 30, right? A couple days after the birth of our nation in, in July. Seventh overall pick in 2015. Um, you know, had a couple of great years. Went 2020 his first full season. Uh, and then ever since then, it's kind of struggled to get back to the top of that mountain. And as you said, uh, it's kind of started the the veteran move. Uh, Red Sox, Royals, Yankees, White Sox. And so it goes for Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, so it goes for Andrew Benintendi. Let's see, since uh, 2020, one, two, three, four, and probably a fifth team to come his way. The, the, the proverbial journeyman is what uh, Andrew Benintendi has become. We are not journeymen. We get rolling each and every day at 11 a.m. Eastern, hanging out with you, Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. Uh, we will start you with a little baseball today. We've got a uh, rather sudden bit of news in gar regarding Corey Seager, <laughs> one of the best players in fantasy baseball. And what do you know, on Tuesday, he undergoes surgery. So we'll talk about what that means for his uh, outlook in 2024. Uh, some news off the field with the Baltimore Orioles, which matters to us because that's an exciting team. Who, When you think about the future, um, are they going to keep all these guys around? Are they going to spend money? Are they going to go out in free agency? Are they going to go for it, if you will? Well, there's some news with the Orioles today that maybe they'll be more willing to go for it in the future. Uh, Ray will give us the role of saves in 2024. Um, Ray, you mentioned yesterday on the program that uh, you are indeed in at least one league, if not more, where saves have been eliminated. Uh, but I still think a, a vast majority of people still go with the old-fashioned save as a way to rank pitchers, don't they? Uh, I think they do as well, and uh, we'll discuss it today. And it's kind of like I'm an old man screaming at the clouds, like you said, with the win category. I think it should be the same way with the saves category. We should re re not replace it. We should augment it is probably a better way to say it. I am in a Tout Wars League where we have done that. We'll discuss uh, what I think is a better way to handle the relief position later in the show. If I gave you one stat you could dump, Ray, would it be wins or saves? Both. I'm cheating. If I had to choose one, I, if one. If I had on. to choose one, I would say saves. Saves. Because there's more money wasted on draft day and in fab on closers than on anything. Maybe maybe rookies because people blow budgets on that. But every year we waste like 40% of our budget picking up save guys. Sometimes we get 50 saves when we do it. Sometimes we get five. First base is the position that Ray and I have been discussing all week long here in Fantasy Sports Daily as we lead up to the start of the season. Um, it's a long-standing tradition with us. Each week we devote to a single position. Uh, last week it was catchers. This week it's first baseman. We will talk about some of the letdowns of 2023 and the uh, chances, if any, of a, a rebound in 2024. So that'll get us rolling on the baseball side. We will hit you with a little NFL news. Uh, kind of wondering about quarterbacks. Uh, Geno Smith, is he still going to be the guy in Seattle? Russell Wilson, is he still going to be the guy in Denver? And one of our favorite pinatas of the last couple of years, Arthur Smith. Ray, I guess, what do we know? Uh, because uh, although I question his uh, bona fides as a play caller, 
an offensive mastermind. Um, I guess he's good enough for at least one NFL team to say, hey, we'll take you. I will add that NFL team, Ray, just suffered through Matt Canada mm -hmm. for like four years. I, I don't know if Arthur Smith's an upgrade, but if you're just trying to upgrade from Matt Canada, maybe Arthur Smith's going to work for you just a bit. <laughs> maybe now I understand why some people wanted them to move on from their head coach. <laughs> no. I don't know what he, what, you know, yeah. safety hiring here. Uh, I assume there's some. Um, it's a, I mean, this is really bad. Uh, <laughs> it's really bad, huh? <laughs> because this team doesn't have a quarterback. And we'll talk about it. They don't have a quarterback. And uh, where this guy's coming from didn't have a quarterback. And how did that go the last couple of years, Kyle? No, no faith in Mason Rudolph, huh? Uh, if he's even back. <laughs> yeah, they got to make sure Mason Rudolph is back. Uh, so we'll talk about Pittsburgh and a couple of other things shaking on the coordinator side in the NFL. Um, as always, we like to remind you that you can uh, get your eyes on Ray's draft guide. Uh, it's been out a few weeks now. Um, mm -hmm. Each and every day, new columns are going up. Updates are being added. I'm sure with the Corey Seager news, there was a slight adjustment maybe on those uh, player rankings. Uh, but, Ray, right now, in effect, people can get it for $40, and it's not just the draft guide, as we like to remind people, all season long. If you are a season-long player, uh, this is the package for you because it's coverage from now through the remainder of the baseball season. What does that take us? All the way through October, Ray, you're covered for the season. Absolutely. And uh, it's one of the things that we pride ourselves on at FantasyGuru.com is delivering that full-season experience. Use the promo code FSD20, FSD20. You get a 20% discount on top of the early bird pricing. As we get closer to opening day, the price goes up. So now is the time to get in. Uh, and, you know, we've got, we had the head-to-head -head week last week. This week, we had kind of opinion week. Uh, we also have released the best ball rankings. So those are available. We're starting to ramp up the coverage of the best ball segment. Uh, MLB model, Scott Bonder, working on that for us. Uh, we've got the, all the research articles diving into categories and what numbers you need to know and what do they mean and all of that kind of thing. Uh, we've got the huge rookie section where we talk about rookie rankings, our expectations this year, scouting reports, all that kind of stuff. So FSD20, uh, it's available right now. It'll be through the entirety of the season. And you also get access to Discord. We ask those questions and we can have that conversation to get you the answer that you need. Okay, so do check it out. Um, and of course, there are other packages that get you other items. I know right now, Hockey and basketball are uh, really hot with DFS, so we can get you coverage for that if you're looking for a nightly sweat. Uh, Ray, let's get into our uh, news of the day. We start in baseball. Uh, yesterday we had a trade. We had a signing. Today we've got surgery, uh, which I got to say, uh, hearing about a surgery, Ray, on January 30th slash 31st is never a good thing, um, even if you're just a, a regular guy. But, Ray, this is more than a regular guy. Uh, the Rangers announced that uh, yesterday – a surgery took place with Corey Seager, you know, <laughs> two weeks before the uh, start of spring training or three weeks, I guess it is for the vets. Um, it is a sports hernia, which, you know, Ray, that's nothing that's debilitating. It, it shouldn't be anything that is bothering him, you know, three, four months from now. Um, and it's probably something that that had to be done because in effect, Ray, the Rangers gave this three months to heal on its own and it didn't. So I guess that is why we are at the late juncture of doing a surgery at the end of January, right before spring training starts. Yeah, and it's disappointing. It sounds like there's a chance to be ready for opening day. If not, it doesn't seem like it's going to be significant, but there's setbacks. Uh, Seeger himself is unfortunately, I mean, he's not Byron Buxton, right? He's not that to that level, but he's always hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were just talking about Ben Benintendi being 29. Seeger's 29 years old. It's like, dude, come on, man. He's getting paid a ton of money. He's coming off a massive season. He just posted a 1,000-plus OPS, was a superstar with the bat, strong defensive player. He's a leader. Like, it's all there. He doesn't play. And, you know, you look at this. The last four years, and one of them was COVID, right? But the last four years, he's played 120 games one time. Yeah. And so it's really tough because I, I, we did adjust the rankings at FantasyGuru.com at the shortstop position. Uh, we dropped them down, uh, with, I think, Took $3 off his expectation, dropped him down in the rankings a little bit too. I mean, you kind of got to look at him and think he's going to miss 25 games anyway. That's what history tells us. The problem is, what if it's 15 games at the start and then it's 25 games? Does something else come up? And so he becomes a difficult guy to pay full price for, even with the bat, because of the injuries, and because of the fact that unlike so many other guys at the position, he just doesn't run. You know, in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll delve into the shortstop position. And Ray, I look at it right now. There, there's at least like seven 
studs, I think, here. Guys that I consider studs at shortstop. Seager's one of them. And if I'm drafting today, Ray, I'm more than happy to take one of these studs and not invest in Corey Seager. As we get closer to opening day and as we get more information and maybe we see him on, on the field and he's participating in spring training, then maybe I'm much more apt. But in terms of drafting early, when you have kind of this question mark on opening day, to me, it's just logical to drop a guy. Now, he can win his way back up, you know, three weeks from now, Ray, if he's in the cage and it's like, oh, he's going to make his spring debut here in five days. Okay, then we're feeling a little bit better about things. But let's say we get to the end of spring camp and they're like, oh, he'll start the year on the DL. And might I remind people, you know, this is a surgery. There's an incision. There's a there's a repair. Um, you're going to take it pretty damn slow with this. Uh, th this is an area of the body, Ray, with a lot of twisting and moving. You know, you swing, you run, you field, you bend over, all these things. You turn as you're rounding first base. This is all kind of in the core. Mm -hmm. And that's where this injury kind of originates. So there's always the danger. I mean, in effect, this is kind of a muscle tear or of that sort. Ray, it's just like a strain or a pulled muscle. There's always that fear of, you know, coming back too early and pushing it too early. And if you're the Rangers... Why force it? I know I, I know Corey Seager wants to force it and be out there right. on opening day and you know be there when the Rangers get their ring in front of the home fans and have that exciting moment. I get that, all, all that. But it but it will be something worth keeping a view on. And even if he's back for opening day, Ray, you nailed it. This guy's probably still gonna find his way to the IL at least one more time, if not two more times. And we have seen long-term injuries, and, and they're kind of what was it, a broken wrist, and there's weird things like as a shortstop, he blew out his elbow you know that was kind of a weird one as well so th there's always bad things um that Seeger usually runs into but you look at these other names right Witt, Turner, De La Cruz, Lindor, Henderson, Bichette today outside of Lindor who I'm not totally sold on those other guys Ray I'm probably taken before Seeger at this moment at this very moment with the uncertainty of the recovery. Yeah. And that, and again, it would be different. I think too, if Seager didn't have the, and it, I, we fight, we fight this all the time, right? Is a guy injury prone? Is it bad fortune? Is there such a thing as being injury prone? Is it playing sports, just playing sports? Seager has a track record of missing time that when, however you want to define it, that's what's occurred. And when you talk about the fact that, again, he doesn't run and not that every guy on the list here runs, but all of them run, you know, some of them run a lot. Uh, when you when you talk about him now with a, this injury and the surgery, not going to be running at all. <laughs> There's no chance that he's running, especially when he starts. It's really hard because he becomes a four-category guy that might play 130 games. You know, you need more than that. Even if, if it's as great as it was last year when you're at 1,000 OPS, it's really tough to invest the level that you're going to have to uh, if the, he doesn't fall down substantially because his ADP is inside the top 20 overall right now at the NFFC, NFBC. Like, it's... He's being drafted as a foundational building block, and that'll obviously change here in the coming weeks. Yeah, so uh, we'll wait and see on Corey Seager. Again, we're we're not looking down the line of what does this mean for the, the positional depth at, at, for the Rangers and, and who's going to bat at the top of the order. You know, we're weeks away from that. we got a lot of time. So we'll hope that Seager uh, does get going. But again, it's just kind of uh, worrisome when it's uh, late January and you're hearing about surgery going into camp. On the opposite side of worrisome is hope. Um, and, and excitement. And Ray, I would suggest we, you and I uh, know some uh, folks in the Baltimore, D.C. area who are Orioles fans, uh, most notably our buddy Phil Backard, who does some work with Fantasy Guru. Um, Baltimore, for years, Ray, the, the Angelos family, it's it's been a, a wet rug, blanket, whatever you want to call on on everything with the Orioles. Even now with like the excitement of the youth and like, wow, we're seeing these guys we've heard about. There is still this disappointment that the Orioles aren't going out and paying people and trying to get better and trying to bring in an ace pitcher or maybe come in with that big veteran bat, whatever it may be. Um, and Ray, part of that, at least the blame, has been attributed to the uh, Angelos family, who has owned the Orioles for well over three decades. Got news today, Ray, they're being sold uh, to, as usual, capital wealth management people. Uh, the people who make money off your money, um, <laughs> which is what the owners do in baseball too. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that's how interest rates work. You know, you just got to invest it, be lucky and wait for interest rates to take hold. Um, it's like $1.7 million. I think the Angelos bought the Orioles for 170 million. So a nice return on the investment. They got a lot of family 
you know, drama going on with the brothers and the mom and Peter Angelos is old. So there's a lot going on. But Ray, this gives hope to the Orioles because even lately, like you want to enjoy the, the Gunnar Hendersons and the Adley Rauschmans and, you know, on and on and on. And even as they're trying to enjoy this, you've got the owners going out and saying, well, we can't afford all these guys in four years. How are we going to make this work? Whether they haven't spent a dime on payroll in 10 years, they really haven't. They've been just pocketing money. But now, Ray, we got rich guys, we got new guys, and perhaps a new day is dawning for the Orioles. Yeah, and if you look at the Orioles right now, they are, according to SportTrack, the second lowest payroll in 2024. The A's, which barely are in baseball, uh, are the only team below them. And, you know, I think it's, it's I mean, talk about a time to be excited if you're an Orioles fan. I mean, Phil Backert, like you mentioned, he's, he's on fire. It seems like every month, we get a report of a new young player with the Orioles who's a top 100 prospect. Like, they have done a miraculous job of building talent. Miraculous. Mm -hmm. And I think even the, the most recent MLB pipeline, they had seven guys in the top 100 in baseball. Like, it's it's not just the guys we've seen. It's guys that are still coming. It's amazing. So they have a, a window here where, you know, basically you have six years of control for a player, basically. They could, you know, they could be a dynamite team for at least that period of time. Any organization talking about not being able to pay these guys, thank God the owners are gone. You've got five years before you have to pay. Like, come on, man. There's no – you're paying these guys whatever arbitration is, $2 million, three, You're not paying these guys anything for the next five or six years. So hopefully the new owners are come in. They'll augment the current team. Um, I think that, you know, a little piece here, a little piece there. Uh, build around these youngsters. We saw them, the team take off last year. I mean, finally, like you said, Cal Ripken disappears. This team is just – now – everyone's excited in the fantasy space and in the real world about the Orioles. Uh, it reminds me, and again, this isn't a perfect hit rate, but Ray, as we know, the Cubs kind of just tanked leading into Bryant and Schwarber and Rizzo. You know, they're Houston, epic tank job leading into, you know, Springer and Bregman and, you know, some of the pitching and, and certainly Altuve, all these guys, uh, you know, they built up and now they're sustaining. Um, Atlanta never really tanked. Um, Toronto had this moment where it was like, wow, the future is so bright for Toronto. It's been kind of a disappointment. Um, Orioles tank, 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 tank. Now we're in that moment where it looks like it's going to be great for the next five years. Um, and, and that's tempting to so many teams. And it's something we talk about with baseball. It's an issue. And it, again, it hasn't been perfect. I mean, the A's are tanking, but it's to get out of town, frankly. Uh, the Marlins have had tanking issues and they've gotten better and they're still competitive. But, Ray, I, I think you see, you know, the hits and they stick out in your mind. The Cubs, the Astros, we assume the Orioles. Um, if they get a World Series at any point in the next three or four years, you know, that'll be another team that said, hey, we threw it away for like five years just mm -hmm. to build and to get high draft picks. And look, it worked. And, and you know, that's tempting. But it, it's cool. You know, we like seeing dead franchises rise from the ashes. It's a good story. But baseball shouldn't like this. You know, you don't – the Pirates – They've been bad for years, and I don't think they're really that close. They're getting better. The Reds, Ray, you know, they're kind of going through the early stages of Baltimore. There's a lot of criticism of teams that do this, but we do see that after three years of hell, it can eventually kind of work out or, or at least get better. It's kind of a way to truly rebuild. It is, but it's not easy to get Adley Rushman or Ellie De La Cruz. Like that's, you know, and, and you've got to hope if you do this, which is the way a lot of the teams do, as you're pointing out, that your scouting group is is on. Because if you make bad calls with the scouting department, that three years become seven, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's you lose all your fan base and everything like that. You become Pittsburgh, Ray. Yeah. They what haven't had the hits in the draft. They've traded mm -hmm. away some guys they should have held on to. And, you know, we're a full decade now since they were last really relevant in the postseason. Yeah, and again, you know, we can talk about, and it, it brings up the discussion about salary cap on the top, salary floor on the bottom. I mean, the Orioles right now are roughly $72 million times four is the Yankees. <laughs> four. It's 400 times higher. They're 287 million. It's 400% higher. So, you know, you have to, in, in that, you know, to really compete theoretically, right? If you spend more money, you should be better. We know that's not always the case. You, uh, you have to be able to spend money at some point. Because to your point, let's say all these youngsters with the Orioles hit or the Reds, right? And then all the guys that are making, you know, 500000 then it's a million, then it's a million and a half, then it's $4 million, then it's $9 million, then it's $12 million, then it's free agency. 
can you afford to have these 12 guys all getting paid 12 million bucks? Mm. A lot of organizations can't. And that's looking way down the road. But it's it's a never-ending battle. Uh, and unfortunately, the teardown model, as you pointed out, has worked repeatedly. And that's really, with the economics of the sport and everything, that's unfortunately, teams make that decision at some point. We're going to win 63 games for the next four years. Then we're going to win 95 and let's go. And that's the path that the Orioles took. And it's finally paying off. Um, sale is not official. It was reported kind of breaking news things last night and agreement in place. And we'll go through months of this. Uh, you know, the owners will have to approve it, but uh, probably should happen again. Peter Angelos, the, you know, principal owner is in his nineties. And so there's a lot of estate planning and stuff that's going on here. Um, everybody will walk away rich. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, you know, Ray, they get a 10 year return on or a 10 times return on their $170 million investment. It, and again, it took 30 years. It wasn't like it was, oh, I have five years and look how much money I made. Um, but I wonder, like the guys buying the Orioles for $1.7 billion, you think they can get $1.7 trillion? <laughs> or what would that? No, no, no. I guess it wouldn't be. It would be $170 billion? Is that right? Yeah, I don't, like, I don't. I don't know. Seventeen yeah. billion, eighteen billion. I and and I think they'll get it in thirty years. These franchises, Ray, I would suspect, will be close to twenty billion dollar entities. Like this is a I mean, team that hadn't won in forever. Ten years from now, fifteen years from now, twenty years from now, you know, if the Yankees go for sale, Ray, they're pulling in. Like not right now, but mm -hmm. they're going to pull in over ten billion dollars ten years from now. Well, the problem is 15 years from now when the Orioles' new owners want to sell, they're going to have to replace Camden Yards. <laughs> it's going to be old by that point. Um, well, there is. I, I think there's an agreement in place to fix the join up. Like, I, I seem to remember that they, and that's been a long issue. I think, you know, in the Maryland State House, they finally agreed with them, you know, to keep the lease going and to show some improvements. But yeah, in the finances of baseball, and that's not what we're going to talk about long term yeah. here, but the finances of baseball, the fact that, you know, we, you and I, like you're talking about, we buy the tickets, we buy the jerseys, we pay for the TV rights, and then we have to pay taxes for the stadium too. Like, like I don't know, man. Public funding for baseball stadiums, that's that's a tough sell in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, these guys have billions, but they don't want to fix up the stadium. Yeah, they want us to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, elsewhere in baseball, a former Oriole, and I'm not going to blame the Orioles for letting him walk, Aaron Hicks, uh, now with the Angels. That actually happened Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh, but just thought we'd throw that out. The, the Angels are uh, picking up a bunch of retreads on like one-year deals, trying to see if they can get something to click. And the whole goal is to flip guys at the deadline to build up their pretty lacking farm system. So that's their game plan. Uh, the other team uh, north of the Angels, the Dodgers, uh, Ray, just to remind people, we, we had a report over the weekend, Walker Bueller, mm -hmm. uh, to where early on in the season, he may be very limited. In other words, even if he's healthy, He's not out there pitching every five days in April. Maybe he's very limited in April. And this is a reminder of the game plan in L.A. I, I know, Ray, they are a behemoth, and everybody thinks they're going to sail to the World Series. You know, that's that's what, you know, the expectation is. But this is a very interesting setup for a pitching staff. They're, they're in effect, Ray, going to – even if everybody stays healthy, Ray, I mean, they're looking at seven, eight guys – pitching for them this year as starting pitchers and Yamamoto, I guess you'd have to say, well, that's a guy who should give you 20 plus starts. He should. The rest of these guys, Ray, are any of them giving you 20 plus starts? I mean, would you feel comfortable banking them for more than 20 starts? And, and we're talking about Bueller, Glasnow, Paxton, Kershaw, if he returns, Bobby Miller, you know, outside of Yamamoto, I don't know if there's a guy that even the Dodgers would tell you they think they can get more than 20 start out. out of well, year. and you know, it's, it's an unfortunate day. And here we go talking about, should we remove wins? We talked about it yesterday. You brought it up here at the start of the show. If you're a team that in a down year wins 90 games, right? There's a lot of victories to go around. If all your starting pitchers are making 20, 23, 21 starts. I mean, this the Walker Bueller news isn't shocking, but it's still you know it's like we're not gonna. I mean, there's reports he's not gonna pitch in April. I mean, like he's just gonna slow play the crap out of this. And let's not forget Walker Bueller was a Cy Young level pitcher before the surgery. This is not a guy that's untalented. Yeah. Uh, now Glasnow can't stay healthy, so he will not make 30 starts. He just can't. Uh, Bueller won't make it. Bobby Miller. I mean, I think they'd like him to take that step, and he looked great last year. 
Paxson can't make 30 starts in the wildest dream. So it's going to it's gonna be the trade market, which unfortunately they're going to avail themselves of at some point. Uh, it's going to be, you know, Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, Michael Grove. These youngsters are going to come up and make starts. And you might be totally right that at the end of the season, you know, they have one guy make 25 starts and they still win 96 games. You know, it's so it works, unfortunately, which will lead them to continue doing it. And and one thing we'll have to keep in mind is down the stretch, you could see Gonsolin, Dustin May coming back from Tommy John surgery. Yep. <laughs> Again, that's way down, you know, that's August, September kind of stuff. But that would also play into to maybe a skip start for Walker Bueller, a skip start for Yamamoto, you know, these kind of things. And I, I don't know if you, it's just an understanding of where the Dodgers stand with how they're building this. You can't draft a Dodgers pitcher and say, oh, this guy's good for 150 innings. Outside of Yamamoto. And, and he's an unknown because we've never seen him in the big leagues. So that's just the plan. Their bullpen, by the way, Ray, we talk about getting wins. Where are they going to come from? You know, a lot of times it's going to slide to the bullpen. And they got names there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got a lot of names who, like Trinan, Joe Kelly, uh, Fireison, Yarbrough, uh, Gratterall, Evan Phillips, of course. I mean, they got a lot of guys. When I look at that bullpen, Ray, a lot of those guys are going to have half dozen victories this year just because of how this team is built. Yeah, watch Ryan Yarbrough make 14 starts too, right? So they'll yeah. opener opener him up five times and he'll make nine other starts. Yeah, that's I mean, you know, when you have the finances and you spend it wisely, you put together a good team. I mean, and again, it's not a guarantee of anything. We were just talking about the Yankees. The Yankees always spend a ton of money. They haven't had the success the Dodgers have had. So there's a secret sauce that's in, involved here. But the the Dodgers have a very impressive pitching staff from top to bottom. That is totally fair. Kyle Alfred, Gray Flowers with you on Fantasy Sports Daily. Let us move into today's topic. Every day we like to spotlight uh, something that uh, Ray is think, uh, thinks is worth noting uh, from the Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. Uh, as Ray has noted, yesterday it was, hey, get the get the, get the wins out of here. Uh, today, Ray, I guess it's get the saves out of here, right? we we got to go after the guys who are racking up saves. Um, and I guess uh, your issue with this is the unpredictability of guys from year to year and and maybe even how teams are now using the ninth inning. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. And, you know, the fact is, number one, to get a save, the game situation has to be just right, right? Your offense has to do this. Your defense has to do this. Your earlier pitching has to do that. And then the manager has to call on you. Who could predict that? No one could predict that. Even the best guys are saving 40 games out of 88 victories, right? They're not even getting half the saves. So there's the inherent nature of the game and how, how so many things have to go right for even to get the opportunity to produce a save. Then we start talking about the actual consistency of the position. And I hinted at this earlier in the show. There is no position in baseball where we spend more draft capital for less return or more fab money for less return than relievers. Because the value of a guy throwing 47 innings of good work is really small in a five-by-five game. Unless there's a 10 save, 15 save, 23 save after that. If it's two saves, eh, those guys are all over the waiver wire, right? Mm-hmm. And as you see there on the graphic, it's obvious. The last three years, there have been six guys who have saved 20 games each season. 20, not 40, not even 30, 20 saves. If your number one closer gets you 20 saves, are you happy? No. There are six guys who've done it the last three years. That's horrendous. It's horrendous levels of production. How many guys have had 30 saves the last two years? You can see it. It's four guys. Four guys the last two years have gotten there. So what are we doing? We're chasing a category that's unpredictable to start. There is no consistency from year to year with the players themselves. And I don't understand why people love it so much when it's guessing when they're going to get the opportunity it's guessing if they're going to be successful in the opportunity, and then it's guessing if they're going to get the follow-up opportunity. I don't understand it, Kyle. Well, yesterday uh, you had a suggestion for what the replacement should be. So the following question, right? What should the replacement be? If, if you want to get rid of saves, what are you proposing? Solds, and it's a simple one. Um, in the league I'm in, in, in Tout Wars, we do solds there. Uh, and solds is saves plus holds. Now, you can't get rid of saves. I know if you get rid of saves, people will stop playing. Like it's like when we get talk, talk about getting rid of batting average, people just won't do it. Okay, yeah. getting rid of victories is stupid, right? People just won't do it. Okay, and you have argued with me because we've had this discussion for a decade. You've argued with me that you think there's a difference between getting the 27th out and the 23rd yeah. out. Okay, yeah. 
So let's keep saves. Let's add holds. Now, neither one on their own is great. And that's the that's the negative of this. Say I don't, I just described I don't love saves. Holds kind of the same thing. You can get multiple holds in the same game, which has been your argument over the years. So neither one is great. But what we do by adding them together and using the category of sold is instead of focusing on the role that the player takes, we're focusing on the skills the player has. Because that doesn't matter to me. Because I know, you know, I know Tyler Rogers is going to be out there and he's going to have a one-one whip. He's going to make 73 appearances for the Giants. I don't care if he throws the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. It doesn't matter. I know who he is and what he's going to do. If we're playing in a saves league, he has no value. If we're playing in a holds league, he's got a lot of value because that's the role he fills with his team. So let's remove the concern about when the manager makes a decision and what the game score is. Let's remove all that kind of stuff as much as we can, add in some more, and therefore be focused more on the skills of the player versus the role the player is filling up. I have no idea on this answer. I doubt you do either. Uh, but maybe I'll give you some homework, Ray. Because you, you present the things with saves and how they, you know, different guys every year. Mm -hmm. And nobody goes even three years being like, the what is it? Josh Hader is the only guy. Yep. I wonder with holds, how much repeatability there is. Um, in terms of, you know, I got... Uh, you know, 22 holds last year. Well, hey, there's four guys in baseball with 20 holds in each of the last two. Like, I feel like that's pretty damn unpredictable as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd still be playing that guessing game. Um, it opens up the pool. I am in many leagues where we don't combine holds and saves. But in points leagues, Ray, mm -hmm. we have always included holds. Right. Now, they are not worth as much as saves. Um, I think our saves are worth four points in the league I'm most uh, accustomed to with holds. And I think holds are worth two. Mm -hmm. So a save is still twice as much. And if I did solds out, you know, it's it's simple enough for you to say hold plus save, solds. But like you noted, we are now equalizing the hold in the seventh inning to the save in the ninth inning or the hold in the sixth inning to the save in the ninth inning, which some people don't have a problem with. I do. So Ray, I'd almost like to have a multiplier effect. Like in a points league, it's easy. Mm -hmm. Save is worth twice as much as a hold. I get credit for both, but saves to me are more important to people in that league. More important. I guess you could do that with solds mm -hmm. where you yeah. could still say, Hey, we'll meet in the middle. We'll, we'll mm -hmm. still make, you know, holds worth something but we won't equalize them to saves. And again, you add arithmetic, you make it confusing, and that maybe isn't the goal. Maybe you haven't solved the issue, Ray. Uh, but that is another thing you could at least think about to where the save would still be worth more than just a simple hold. Yeah, and there's the option there on the bottom of the graphic where it's exactly that. And I used the 5x5 five five game because that's what the majority of the article is. But you'll notice the same ratio that Kyle just mentioned in a points league. It's still there. You can do one point for a save, one point for a hold, so they're the same. A lot of people like the one point for a save and the half point for a hold, which again is the same as Kyle going four points or two points, right? So if you want to break it down that way, I don't have a problem with that. Then, then we still say, look, let's give some importance to the guy that's the ninth inning guy. We have seen in recent years, in, of course, especially when games get really important, that the teams don't save their Mariano Rivera for the ninth inning, their Trevor Hoffman wow. for the ninth inning. That guy's out there in the seventh or eighth inning, which is what they should do. Because when the game's on the line and the bases are loaded in the, in the bottom of the seventh inning, get your best guy in there. Who cares if you got a three-run lead in the ninth inning with no one on base? So if you wanted to, to change the recording of points, I don't have a problem with that. If you wanted to make the hold half as valuable as a save, I think that's totally doable. Uh, and there's a big article over at fantasyguru.com that looks like at the last decade. Like it's got huge ADP numbers and it's, it's a huge article. And I don't have the exact answer to your sold question going back to it, Kyle. But if you look at the article and you look at the last 10 years, there's an average of 17.6 seasons per year of 25 saves. Okay. There's an average of 10.8 seasons of 25 holds. So about 18 to 11. So there are more guys that get the, the big save numbers consistently than the big hold numbers. I don't have the consistency for the holds in the article. Um, but I think that maybe speaks a little bit to the idea of let's still give a little bit of deference to the save over the hold. And, and in these holds leagues, Ray, you know, when you're drafting and I haven't been in many of them, I think I've been in one or two and you know, the guys you end up going with um, quite often, it's not because you're predicting great holds numbers. Mm -hmm. It's because you say, Hey, this guy's got a 98 mile per hour slider. 
you know, and has a, you know, or can hit 101, he's in the eighth inning and eventually he'll get saves. Like, I think he's just a talent because I look at the guys who lead in holds, right? And I don't think anybody's like going after Hector Norris, who was tied for the most holds in baseball. Like this year, he's going to be with the Cubs and I guess in the Solds League or people are going to care about him or um, Eric Swanson or Mark Leiter or Colin Holdeman. I, I mean, I say the name Colin Holdeman, who was top eight in baseball for holds. Ray, I, I bet 95% of our audience has no idea what team Colin Holdeman is on. Really? We mentioned, we mentioned the team earlier in the show today. And I'd have to think hard. I, I would have been, but I, you know, because we're early. The I, I get it. I'd have to be, but I'd have to sit here like, oh, oh yeah, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. So even like you couldn't even look at a holds leaderboard and say, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go after a Brooks Rayleigh or give me some Trevor Steffen. You know, you're, you're still looking at guys who don't have the ninth inning job, but you think they're going to get it. Well, like you still wouldn't change your drafting. I don't think if you had solds in well, season, you maybe get a better payoff, but in the preseason, I don't think it would change anything on your draft board. Who is the Angels' closer? Don't know. Is it Estevez or Stevenson, who just got the $33 million? Who's the Rangers' closer? Is it Jose Leclerc or David Robertson? We don't know. So if you're drafting now, you're guessing. With a capital G, you're just guessing. Oh, we're always guessing, Ray. Right. But always the point guessing. is, if we go to Solds, we guess less. But you're still having to determine who's going to be the better of those two guys. But you're now focused on the skills they possess. Versus before, all we're concerned about is the ninth right. inning. Is the that, that's the old Jose Mesa thing? Let's get thirty-five saves <laughs> with a six ERA. Okay, you're a horrible pitcher. You just happen to be the guy that gets called out the ninth inning. Well, this year it's going to be Craig Kimbrell, Ray. He's probably closing for Baltimore, right? I think that's fair. Yeah, he's no good. He's not terrible. Okay, he's not. He's not Craig Kimbrell anymore. And he's sloppy and he walks guys and it takes you know ninety-five pitches to get three outs. Um, but it's like he's going to get drafted. I want nothing to do with the guy, Ray. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't – I won't touch him. So, that like, like people will go after him, I guess, because he's Baltimore's closer and they think it's a 90-win team. But to your point, because of his skills, I, I just don't care about Craig Kimbrell. I'm not yeah. going to draft the guy, even though he's got the job. Go get Yiner Cano. Then yeah. if you said, I mean, that, and so, again, just my, my overarching point is that the idea of – there's too much randomness in the victory. There's too much randomness in the save. Let's mm -hmm. improve that. I'm not saying sold is the answer. There are weaknesses to the hold. We're talking about it. We're going to, I'm not saying it's the panacea of how to do relief pitchers. No, but it's better. Mm -hmm. So that instead, I, instead of me having to guess which guy or, or, you know, even having to do the double tap, like I'm going to take Carlos Estevez and then I'll next round I'll take Robert Stevenson. Like, okay. Right. What, what in the end, if both those guys suck and either one of them gets 15 saves because the angels aren't any good. And they make a trade and they bring someone else in and some other relievers. Let's not worry about the role. Let's worry about the skills. That's what I'd rather focus on. Well, and, and to your credit, I, I sometimes play devil's advocate here with Ray. I, I don't really agree with him on these things. I don't hate these ideas at all. But the, the argument Ray and his light can make is don't let the, you know, don't let the idea of perfection, like truly making a perfect solution. And, you know, that's what everybody wants, but don't let that get in the way of just having a better solution. And maybe this is a better solution. It's maybe not perfect, but it could be a better solution. So something to think about. I know quite often here late January, people are thinking about uh, their home leagues or changes they might want to make. And uh, that is certainly a possibility more on sold, certainly um, in uh, Ray's draft guide. So do check it out. Uh, let's continue with the baseball, Ray, and continue with our discussion of all things first base. Uh, let's see. Yesterday, we hit on some of the surprises of last year. Today, some of the letdowns. And and the guys I chose, Ray, um, you know, we're not near the top 12. Most of these guys were outside the top 15. Um, almost all of them are older guys. So you kind of wonder, well, hey, has it left for good? Uh, but Jose Abreu, Anthony Rizzo, um, I put Josh Bell here, Rowdy Telez, who, you know, that may, he's not a Jose Abreu guy, but remember Rowdy Telez in 2022 had a big time year with Milwaukee. And then last season was disappearing. I, I think Abreu Ray is probably the most guy worthy of talking about here because Abreu, I mean, he drove in 90 runs. Okay. That that's, I know RBIs are very unfashionable, but that still shows that the guy was trusted by his team and was able to bring in some runners. 
Um, he also had a pretty big October. And he also, Ray, had no power early and a lot of power late. So Abreu is one of these guys, and he's been a, not a superstar, but a star in the fantasy world for a number of years. I, I'm a little more worried than positive with Abreu. I, I think last year is maybe a hoped-for scenario when I look at Jose Abreu this season. I, I think there's actually more down than up for him this season. How about you? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, I think that when you look at like his swing metrics, like the amount of pitches he swung at outside the strike zone, the amount of pitches he swung at overall, the numbers are up. And the general belief is that he's hunting more now. You know, in the old days, he'd react more. Now he's got to get going, right? He's got to start to swing a little earlier, lost a little bat speed, uh, lost a little plate recognition. And as a result, he can be pitched to. And we saw that reflected in his batting average. He's not going to beat anything out with his legs, so he needs to just produce base hits, right? And so as you age, it gets a little more difficult for this style of hitter. And when you look at not only has he expanded the strike zone, which is not ideal, uh, you look at the, the stat cast data, and it's depressing. Uh, <laughs> because he, he lost three miles an hour in exit velocity, three mm. from the previous four years. Okay, so that's – and we talked about this the other day. You know, a mile per hour here or there eh. – Two, three, whoa, like that's bad. His um, hard hit rate was the lowest it's ever been. His barrel rate was the lowest it had been in five years. So he swung more. He expanded the strike zone. He did less with it, right? And part of this is his strikeout rate. You know, he's not a big strikeout guy. So if you're expanding your strike zone and you're swinging more, but you're not striking out more, what are you doing? You're rolling balls over to second base, right? You know, and so... It's hard to envision a scenario where he is better than he was last year. I can give him, you know, 10, 15 batting average points. But, you know, to, to your point, hitting 250, 18, 79, eh. Yeah. You, you still draft Jose Abreu. This is not like he's undraftable. And part of the reason, Ray, is where he's going to be in this Astros lineup. Because he's a right-handed hitter, Ray, even though Kyle Tucker is a much better hitter. I mean, Kyle Tucker is the fantasy superstar. Uh, Abreu probably bats ahead of Tucker because of how they want to set their lineup to break up the back-to-back -back lefties. If they go Alvarez, Tucker, you got two lefties. Abreu goes in between those guys and breaks up the lefties. And honestly, and yet, unless you know the catcher Diaz continues to hit. That's like the only threat to Abreu losing that positioning in the order. They'd have to reshuffle everything. I mean, because, you know, you got Altuve at the top. You got Bregman, too. Then Alvarez. That's one, two, three. That's how it always is there. Then you go Abreu to break up Tucker and Alvarez. And then the back of the order, Ray, I mean, I don't see Chaz McCormick, like, suddenly ascending or Jeremy Pena or Jake Myers or these guys, like, lifting up and becoming middle of the order of bats. Diaz would be the threat as a catcher if what we saw last season could carry over. But this all speaks to the idea of that ribby number. That that ribby number, Ray, he can be worse in all these categories. Average down, homers down, runs down. He could still flirt with 85, 90 ribbies because of where he's probably going to be in this lineup. He could, and he'll still be dependent on, like you said, to be that guy. And You know, I think it should be pointed out, too, that while we're both saying, hey, come on, you know, this guy was a damn good hitter. I mean, he yeah. was really good. And he probably didn't get enough credit because he was at the White Sox and no one was paying attention. Didn't get enough credit for how good he was. So I guess it's nice to see him go to the Astros and get some, you know, positive pub now. Uh, but at his age, with what we saw last year in particular, it's more of the same versus a step here. That, that step that we saw in the past, it's not coming back. How about the guy in the image below, um, Anthony Rizzo? And Ray, there's obvi obviously an excuse here. It seemed like a majority of uh, half the season he was playing with a concussion. Um, eventually had to kind of admit that and say I haven't been right. And, and that's a concern to me, Ray. Um, he is getting older. Um, he, he's a fine player, and obviously he's got his spot in the history of the game. You know, the guy who helped bring a title to the Cubs and has been a very, you know, all-star kind of guy and, you know, leadership, all those things, right? I'd love to see him keep going, but I do worry about the after effects going into this season with the concussion. It's just a, it's a really tough thing to figure. And when you're on the older side, as he is in his thirties, you just kind of wonder uh, what's going to be the true return to form this season. 
Yeah, and I think both these these players and Josh Bell too, like these are veterans that you draft in a mixed league as your corner infields, you know, guy, and you're like, eh. Like all you're trying to do is keep pace, right? You're not looking at these guys going back to hitting 35 home runs or being stars in the fantasy game. It is very tough to know with Rizzo because, like you said, last year was such a mess. He's only a year removed from going, you know, 30, 75, 75. So, mm-hmm. you know, just as recently as 2022, we saw some good things from him. Uh, he had, he and Joey Votto are – I know, sorry. Sorry, Anthony. He and Joey Votto are kind of that, you know, power guy that can still take a walk kind of player. Yeah. Um, but there's – it's hard to get excited about Rizzo. Uh, I think that you framed it correctly with Rizzo, whose strikeout rate was a career worse last year. It was 23%, which is basically league average. It wasn't a terrible number. But for him, it was bad. His walk rate had, has never been been a decade since it was as low as it was last year. You start talking about him losing the strike zone a little bit. You start talking about the health issues he dealt with. And again, he's we're hoping that he goes 240, 25, 80, right? Mm-hmm. And not that he can't do that, but what does that do for you, right? Again, it's a placeholder in a mixed league. So I, I think that the batting average is in doubt. Playing time's in a little bit of a doubt. So there are some concerns with Anthony Rizzo. You know, and then with the other two guys I mentioned, you, you know, Josh Bell, Ray, when you look at the overall numbers last year, they weren't all that different from what Josh Bell has done. Um, the issue was, I remember last year, the idea of him going to Cleveland and batting fourth. People were excited about that, and he was pitiful in Cleveland. And if not for a trade to Miami, after pretty well everybody in the fantasy world had given up on Josh Bell, he was much better in Miami. You know, that was a positive move for him. Overall, the numbers were pretty blah. With Rowdy Telez, I guess you could say it's not so much like, oh, you suck now. But now, Ray, his season was so blah that his role with Milwaukee is totally uncertain. And this is a guy who hit over 30 home runs the year before. And now you look at both Bell and Telez, and I'm not going to say they're undraftable. You know, if you end up in that spot and you take a shot in the 27th round, fine. But I'd rather go with somebody young that maybe surprises me than somebody old that I'm just hoping they can hit 20 home runs and maybe drive in 80 RBI. Like, I'd rather just get excited about someone who can get me 15 steals or somebody who can maybe uh, take over as an everyday third baseman at a position that that I'm looking to fill a corner infield spot, maybe take a shot on a prospect. Like, that's going to be way more enticing to me than taking a shot on a Telez or a Bell this year. I actually think all four of these guys are just the take them. Right. I'm not excited. I don't think there's greatness from any of them. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Telez has got the benefit of uh, being with the team in Pittsburgh that can play him every day. Right. So there's a chance. But the problem is then he has a great first half. He gets traded and he's a support piece. So I think the Telez you draft if you need or if your hope is 25 home runs, you draft Telez. If you're mm-hmm. looking for a little bit better of an overall offensive game, you take Josh Bell. But Josh Bell's just a guy. There's there's hardly ever been more of just a guy than Josh Bell who had one miraculous season. And I'm telling you, if you look back at his 2019 season, which are massive numbers, in reality, this guy's been in the big leagues for almost a decade now. He's had one half season. Because mm-hmm. even that year in 2019 when he went bananas, yeah. it was half the year he was unbelievable. The other half he was just himself. He's kind of living off half a season. And, yeah, and it's just, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, if you're if you're – a division winning team. If you're a real world series contender, Josh Bell's on your bench. Mm-hmm. He's not a starter for you. Luckily for him, there's a bunch of teams that aren't in that scenario. Right. So he continues to get his 500 plate appearances, but he's a, it's a very boring 500 plate appearances. Yeah. Tomorrow on the show, uh, we will continue with our discussion of first baseman. We started the week by, at least in my opinion, uh, talking about a position with so little depth, you know, there's a few guys at the very top that you like, Um, Who might be a player or two that could really ascend and help to strengthen this first base position? Uh, We'll spotlight a few of the guys who are currently going outside the top 12 at first base, but guys who could certainly be there by the time October rolls around. So that'll be the guys uh, for 2024 who can maybe make that boost up. We'll do it tomorrow on Fantasy Sports Daily. In our final 10 minutes or so, uh, let's give a little love to football. And uh, Ray, I guess we won't give any love to Arthur Smith. Uh, he does have a job. Kudos. Uh, he will not. I, I think his dad. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm Arthur Smith. Like comes from a billionaire family. Correct. So so he would be fine even without a job. <laughs> yes, he'd be fine. Plus, he made millions last year. So you know, it, it's always one of those things where you're like, "Great job, you got a job," but honestly, you don't need a job. Um, Arthur Smith in Pittsburgh, offensive coordinator. Ugh. 
I mean, ugh, right? It's it. His reputation is built on Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill, I guess, was better under Arthur Smith than he has probably been anywhere else. So I guess he will always have that badge, Ray. But I think the only reason Ryan Tannehill kind of became good is because Derrick Henry was such a monster. Like, it was prime Derrick Henry. And this is hugely unfair, I guess, you know. Um, great job, Arthur Smith. Hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. <laughs> You know, that's why. So I guess, Ray, you could say, well, Arthur Smith, let's get this running game going because Pittsburgh, to your point, mm -hmm. we're not comfortable with their QBs. Arthur Smith, at least in Tennessee, when he committed to the run and had Derrick Henry, they they ran pretty well. I guess the job is let's do it with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris because this team is going to want to run the football uh, because the quarterback situation is not going to be solved this offseason for the Steelers. Yeah, let's start the clock right now, the doomsday clock, if you're a Steelers fan. <laughs> Click on the button right now until George Pickens goes nuclear. Because <laughs> he's going to love being Drake London in this offense. He's going to love He's going to do what A.J. Brown did and say, yeah. get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. There will be helmets flung. There will be anger on the sidelines. There will be social media posts. It's going to happen. Um, he – and again, I joked about this earlier. Mike Tomlin wins. The Steelers win, right? Okay, so we're bringing in an offensive coordinator who will continue what we do. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we win, but we never really win, yeah. right? And when we lost Ben Roethlisberger, that's it. We lost our quarterback. We're not doing anything other than win nine or ten games and losing in the first round of the playoff. That's what this organization is right now, which is some of the frustrations of the fan. They need a quarterback. Now, there are some guys, and maybe they bring someone in, but if it's Mitch Trubisky or Mason Rudolph – and even if they bring someone in, like, who are they going to bring in that Arthur Smith is going to say throw the ball 38 times? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we we know what the Steelers want to do. I think this is them trying to strengthen what they want to do. But it is boring from a fantasy perspective, and it's boring for the overall outlook of the team. You know, another ex-head coach who uh, burned out pretty spectacularly um, is Brandon Staley. Sounds like he could become uh, – or actually – yeah, it could become. It's not official. Uh, but he's interviewing with the Rams to be their defensive coordinator. So we'll see if that works out for him. Ben Johnson, by the way, uh, the highly sought-after Detroit offensive coordinator, um, he, in effect, has said, Washington and Seattle, I'll wait till next year. So I'll, I'll, I'll see if there's some better spots to land. Um, and I get it, Ray, because Washington has no idea who their quarterback is. And uh, Seattle, who knows what they're going to do under quarterback. I mean, Geno Smith, I think I saw like two weeks from now. Seattle's, in effect, going to have to make a decision on Geno Smith. And it can go both ways. I mean, Geno Smith, I think you pay him $13 million. That, That's actually a steal for Geno Smith in today's landscape. So I look at that, Ray, and, and say, okay, that's what Seattle's going to do. I Now, they could say, well, we got a new coach coming in. The Carroll era is over. We've got some salary cap issues. We could save money for this year. But there's also dead money, which to me, Geno Smith is staying. But if you're Ben Johnson, you got Geno Smith for this year, which is fine. But next year, you probably don't. You're starting over. That's not a good spot to be in if you're a head coach. You want to be Jim Harbaugh going to Justin Herbert. So the hope is Ben Johnson has more of that set up, whatever the jobs are next season, that he could perhaps take over. So, so that's why he's staying, Ray. But I think Seattle's going to be fine. I think Dan Quinn probably ends up there. This Washington thing, it's, God, what a mess. Just an absolute mess, I think, what's going on with the commanders right now. Well, think about it. Ben Johnson was the hottest name. He's not going anywhere. Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, doesn't look like he's getting a job, and the commanders still don't have a coach. Yeah, it's... Vrabel. Vrabel's out there. Vrabel, too. Good call. Really associated with this opening. Great call, yeah. And, you know, and things are changing with the commanders, okay, but – Things have been a disaster for a decade, right? So uh, I think that you're, it's not as simple as what you just laid out, but it's mm -hmm. its accurate that these coaches don't want to go to organizations that don't have a quarterback yeah. and no plan at quarterback uh, because, you know, you take you, – you draft someone, it takes a couple years to develop them. You know, you win 13 games in two years, you get fired, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a tough call. I'm surprised Johnson didn't end up any, any somewhere, but I, I get it. I think the Geno Smith call, I think they have to keep him. Because what's the alternative, like you're saying? Like, what What are you going to do? You're going to go sign Blaine Gabbert? You know, Metcalf is still a thing, and you got a young Kenneth. Well, like, they're they're still a competitive team, Ray. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but that should be a team in that 
seven nine win range i think next season yeah they're they're very much like the steelers in the sense that you could see them making the playoffs but not doing anything in the playoffs Mm -hmm. geno smith is not going to return to 2022 those numbers are not happening again it's more of what we saw this year is that serviceable yes can you win games with geno smith yes at the price point of 13 million dollars compared to what you'd have to sign even free agents is it fine sure so I think they run it back just because they'll definitely look for, you know, they need an answer long-term and I don't think it's Geno Smith, uh, but I, it makes all the sense in the world to have him back uh, and just kind of, again, like you said, try to do 2023 again next year. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, there was a report today, uh, the Russell Wilson thing is going to be reported on a lot over the coming weeks, but uh, a lot of connecting of the dots to Vegas as maybe that's where the Raiders go. And uh, you know, you got to find, the money and the opening and the trade partner and everything, but still sounds like Russell Wilson, right? It's it's probably not going to work in Denver. And it's, it's pretty crazy when that, when that trade was made, it was like a dawning of a new era for the Denver Broncos. Like, Oh man, we got a super bowl proven hall of fame quarterback, man. You talk about a worm turning in 24 months, right? It's been crazy how, how much of a disaster that, franchise altering move has been you know with all the picks they gave up with all the money they gave to wilson probably not to the level of deshaun watson you know with what they're going to be stuck with but man denver it's he he just kind of blew a big hole for two or three years and sean payton's trying to dig him out of it i guess it's really fascinating that when you look at wilson's production statistically it's pretty good you know, I mean, it, 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 66% completion rate. The yardage, though. The, I mean, he was you know, dink and dunk. Well, like well yeah, and again, that's the, but that's the system, right? Remember Drew Brees with the Saints. And that, uh-huh. you know, that's just kind of his yards per attempt was 6.9 yards, which is easily a career worse, to your point. Uh, but, I mean, look at this. He averaged in a standard setup 20.6 points a game. What's his career number? 20.8. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he, he was okay. Obviously I think the issue with Russell Wilson and we've heard a lot of what happened last year, not 2022. I mean, where he was like making up plays, the line of scrimmage and the offensive coordinator didn't know how to play football and the whole thing. I think we've, we've learned just how good a job Pete Carroll did with Russell Wilson. Cause Russell Wilson clearly has skills and can be successful and all that. But to your point, there are limitations here and clearly what he does well and what he doesn't do well doesn't fit with what Sean Payton wants to do. And I think early on when Wilson was trying to prove himself, because he was not, this was not a guy that was drafted in like, oh, day one, he's a court, you know, he's a franchise quarterback. So he had a lot to prove, Ray. And he was learning, a lot to learn. And he got to a point where it was too cool for school then. And he's like, I'm the guy now. You know, and and I get it, it can happen. You know, Russell Wilson thinks he's one of the top quarterbacks of the last 10 10 years. Um, And Ray had the winning in Seattle, but he kind of got to a point where, this is no longer me learning from you. It's me teaching everybody, you know, and it's going to be my way. And I think that's what happened with Wilson is, and that's no, I, a lot of people are like that. You know, you get to a point in your life and then you say, Hey, I don't have to learn anymore. Look what I've done. And, and maybe that's where we're at with Russell Wilson. I think the problem is you go to Vegas. I don't think, you know, does that turn around the fortunes of Vegas? I, I don't know if there's a spot Ray where all of a sudden Russell Wilson has a click and he's like, okay, yeah, let's do what you want to do. I think he's always going to be that guy who says, I want to do what I want to do. Yeah, and again, to give him credit, if he plays those final two games, he might throw 30 touchdowns this year. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was still – but, yeah, I think that there are, there's a lot of people that used to like his raw attitude. Now there's a lot of people who think he's a phony. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, like with a capital P phony, you know. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know. I know he's an effective quarterback. I know he can lead a team to success. Can you win with him the big game? How many organizations can win the big game anymore? How many quarterbacks are true difference makers? He's not, but he's certainly capable of, you know, helping it. If he went to the Raiders, it would be a benefit to them. It's better than Aiden mm-hmm. O'Connell. We know that at least. That is where we stand at least today in the NFL. Obviously, things are a little slow. We got the off week uh, between the championship round and the Super Bowl round. And, and next week, we'll really uh, keep digging into the Super Bowl and talking about that big game and getting you set from a wagering perspective, a DFS perspective. We'll do a lot of that next week as we go through things leading up to the kickoff in Vegas. As for tomorrow, uh, more baseball, a little bit of football as well. So stick with us for that more on first baseman. We'll also on the football side, uh, because I've been promising this and we got to complete it, uh, tight ends. We'll, we'll kind of get into that position with a look back and a look forward at that spot, which I did improve this year. Uh, first base is trying to do what tight end 
did this year. First base gave us these guys that emerge, or tight end gave us these guys that emerged this year. First base could use that as well. So we'll tie them in uh, coming up tomorrow, 11 a.m. Ray, as for us, we are done for the day. Um, although you've got writing, I'm sure that will be. any Anything uh, being posted later this afternoon that people should keep an eye on? The articles are actually up. I'm trying to get them up in the morning before we were on air. So right now we've got, should we remove batting average for baseball? Because again, remember it's opinion. Ray's wanting to change the whole damn sport. <laughs> and if you think that removing these things is a good idea or not, there's also an article about categories we can add. Okay. So not just saying let's knock everything out. I'm giving you some options as to what you can add to replace the things we're knocking out. Ray, uh, you and Rob Manfred are kindred spirits. Just trying to improve the game and, and want to mess with everything. You know, if 100 years of all this stuff or 40 years in the case of fantasy baseball, and you come in and you want to kick all the toys over, pull, yeah, pull the uh, I do. Over. Well, yeah. just because we've done something forever doesn't mean there's not a potentially better way to do it. I don't want to be Russell Wilson, Kyle. I think I've learned everything. Yes, exactly. Always yeah. learning. Ray Flowers. Has that ever been said? Yeah, that's been said. Ray, Ray, Ray's a learner. A learner. Um, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Big thanks to everybody in the chat room, everybody on YouTube, X, Facebook, however you consume us, the the, the people who download the podcast. Uh, that'll do it for us. We'll be back on Thursday. Kyle Offering and Ray Flowers with more Fantasy Sports Daily powered by FantasyGuru.com.